This is the FS Tech Podcast. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, content editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to take a look at how FSIs are improving their trading workflows post-pandemic by using voice and emerging technology. Trading has traditionally always been an office-based activity. However, the demands of the pandemic didn't make many allowances for tradition or for company culture. Firms had to adapt their trading operations to a work-from-anywhere model practically overnight, regardless of their circumstances. However, the challenges of transitioning to the realities of a hybrid trading floor have only been complicated by the amount of legacy infrastructure which many firms operate, the stringent regulations which FSIs are expected to adhere to, and the widespread expansion into emerging markets with new laws and unfamiliar languages. As a result, many FSIs are turning towards voice-based technology and biometrics to replicate the benefits for a real-life trading floor in today's hybrid office, and to ensure compliance and security against complex regulatory backdrop. To delve further into these challenges, as well as impossible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Tim Kamadi, Chief Technology Officer at IPC Systems. Thanks for coming to the podcast, Tim. Uh, we really appreciate anyone who can spare their time to come on and talk to us. Uh, thanks, Will, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you and, uh, and the, the people out there. Uh, so I'm Tim Carmody. I've uh, been with IPC for about 20 years of my career. I am the Chief Technology Officer, and I oversee all of the product and development uh, areas. And uh, certainly the pandemic uh, changed a lot of how our customers work, and I'm very happy to talk to you about uh, some of the details. Yeah, so it, it certainly did. So just to jump into what is really a massive topic, could you outline the main challenges for FSIs uh, as they transition to a hybrid work model for trading? Sure, and I, I think it's important first to put it in perspective that there really was no blueprint or game plan um, for this kind of a model. There, you know, there were our customers are very sophisticated. They had very sophisticated BCP plans, but most of those included getting traders to another office, to another region, and and basically you know replicating what they already had in a different location. Nobody really foresaw moving uh, people to a remote working from home type of scenario. And in, in reality, a lot of the rules and the compliance requirements in place prevented that kind of remote working, you know, intentionally. The other thing that, that became a challenge as we did start moving people and supporting remote working is a lot of the trading floors are built on what I would call people proximity, where, you know, having a particular specialist desk uh, all co-located and being able to communicate very quickly, um, you know, with uh, hand signs and, and uh, across the desk. Um, and that needed to also be replicated. You know, but what was amazing was our, our customers are, are, like I said before, very sophisticated, very resourceful, and they pivoted incredibly quickly to move to this model. And IPC helped a lot of customers do that. Uh, we offered a, a variety of solutions, uh, you know, people moving to home that could use a, a soft client that we had in the industry for a long time that wasn't heavily adopted because it was uh, not previously required. We had thousands of uh, turrets that people brought home and, and we helped them do that with you know, optimized configurations and specialized tools and, and reporting and things of that nature. And, and then we really kind of leaned into, you know, supporting how these customers could work differently very quickly 
you know, some of that was, you know, where customers didn't have IPC equipment necessarily, we used our network to help them, you know, route services uh, to alternate locations and, and still, you know, trade as if, uh, as if they were in the office. Yeah, because like you said, it's not just the technical piece of can we make these trades at home? Can we make these trades remotely? You've also got to be able to replicate the decades of culture that's been built up in places like Wall Street and the City of London between all of the different trading desks, this um, in-person culture which finance has become so reliant on. And that presents another set of challenges that go beyond the technical ones. I'm quite impressed by any firm that managed to deal with that effect. Just to move on, so how do you think firms can replicate uh, these benefits for a real-life trading floor within a, within a hybrid working model? Sure. And, um, and before I address that, I, I think I just want to also address that, you know, the, the problem or the challenges the industry has now is, is really figuring out much more of a rem- hybrid model, you know, as they bring people back to the office and, and they have different uh, groups of people that are home or back in the office or, you know, changing on a regular basis. And, and that actually adds an additional problem because now you have people on different methods and, uh, and different technologies in some cases. So, you know, when, when you look at how do you replicate the benefits of a, of a, you know, a trading floor, I think first and foremost is you really want to give the traders what they're used to. You want to, you want to replicate the environment as much as possible to, you know, the, the uh, on-premise model. And that's largely because you know traders are incredibly efficient at their workflow, and a lot of that is built into you know muscle memory, where you know they they just kind of naturally know how to seize a, a line and and bring somebody into a call and and basically execute something very quickly, and they need that same you know technology and that same capability uh, wherever they are, and you know with the remote working, one of the things that was very important for us to be, help customers replicate was getting access to all of the same services that you had in, uh, in the office, having them laid out in the same exact you know, fashion and all so that muscle memory could really kick in. And, and that's incredibly important uh, as you go you know, to home hybrid as well. You want the same experience, um, you know, continuity of experience, I like to call it, uh, wherever you are. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a big part of, of you know, what we're doing to, to help the industry. Now, in terms of replicating the benefits of a real life trading floor, you then need to uh, augment, you know, that you have to replace that people proximity with technology. And, you know, something, um, you know, very common in the industry anyway is, you know, open speaker channels, uh, what's, you know, a lot of people call hoot and hollers, uh, based, you know, intercoms and, and things where you can very quickly get, um, you know, short conversations with a, a large number of people. And IPC's equipment always supported that. You can, you know, very quickly go in and, and push to talk on a particular line, then, you know, push to talk a half a second later on a different line. And, and that became incredibly important for our customers because now not only did you have all of the infrastructure that you use on a regular basis in the office, you could add additional uh, open channels or hoot and hollers and, and basically, you know, create that kind of people proximity uh, that you couldn't before you do have to recognize that, you know, we're talking about, you know, in some cases, very fast interaction. Um, and it's very important that the technology supports that. In, in one case, just to give you uh, an anecdote, uh, we, we have one of our uh, customers, uh, an IDB, who actually, in, in order to do uh, replicate it, they actually had, you know, five or six uh, dealers in, uh, in a person's location uh, in their garage, and they set up a mini trading floor with remote turrets and also 
that was a better way for them to uh, to kind of replicate that environment. But but you know the, the reality is is that the technology does help and, and can help. And the more that you enable that, and the more you allow the traders to you know have that kind of continuity of experience, the, the better off they are. Yeah, I really love that point about the continuity of experience, because when you're expecting people to perform at the highest level and to perform in a highly competitive environment, it's almost like being an, an athlete. Habits do matter. Muscle memory does matter. Uh, people can be expected to be put into a completely different environment and perform at the same level uh, unless um, adaptation is made, unless allowances are made. So, yeah, I think I think that's really a wonderful point. And also not just trying to replicate the um, the on the floor trading experience, but trying to make it better. Um, what new technology we can add in the hybrid model so that we can actually not just replicate the experience we had at the start of 2020, but maybe provide a better trading trading experience in uh, 2021. Now things have developed. So moving on, I'd like to talk about natural language processing and how you feel that voice-based technology can uh, improve trading workflows. Sure. Yeah, and this is something that, uh, you know, right prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of industry interest in, in using AI and NLP, uh, you know, natural language processing and artificial intelligence to, to really uh, facilitate more efficiency and, and more intelligence in, in the trading. Uh, and that is both pre-trade, during trade, post-trade, uh, all, all of that. Um, it's kind of interesting. It was uh, in February 2019. Um, I presented at the LSE to a group of analysts, and a lot of it was around NLP. And we did some demonstrations of our capabilities and our blotter product as part of that. And then the pandemic, you know, really shut everything down, and and people started worrying about remote working. But we are seeing our our customers come back to uh, NLP for voice, you know, services. And what we're really seeing is there's a lot of a lot of different use cases, and in particular, uh, there's also a lot of real-time use cases. Uh, being able to use your voice uh, very quickly to do things that you couldn't before, like a ticket population. Uh, you know, being able to to load your order book with uh, your voice rather than having to worry on uh, you know worry about typing it in. And as long as you have very clean, pristine audio, as we like to call it, and you have either structured data or partially structured data and very intelligent transcription engines that uh, understand your asset class, understand the jargon that you're talking about, you, you can get very high, highly accurate uh, services. And, um, and, and doing that gives you a real increase in efficiency for the trader, right? So they can now populate tickets just using their voice, see them come up on the screen immediately and, and then execute it. So that, that's, a, you know, that's a real world, real world use case that, uh, that we see. Another that would have been very useful if it existed or was widely used uh, when the pandemic first hit is this concept of a of a, a live ticker feed where a head trader or somebody on a, on a specialist desk can be executing a trade with counterparties. And at the same time, those positions are actually being read out of, across a, a crawl or a ticker going across the desk because you know we've done a real-time transcription uh, voice to text and, and the rest of the desk can see that. You know, you can imagine if that was available or widely deployed for customers that are work, working remotely or hybrid, you know, that would give the desk a lot you know, more immediate uh, awareness of what was going on across the desk. The other thing that we're experienced uh, as, as users of uh, all this technology 
in our personal lives, you know, voice commands, you know, being able to uh, have a Siri or Alexa type experience, but then cater that to making a trader more efficiently, being able to pull up a CRM screen uh, very quickly, being able to do a screen pop for market data to, to, to you know, basically have, you know, all of that at, at someone's fingertips. You know, there's a lot of different things that you can do uh, in real time uh, use cases for voice transcription with NLP. Again, it needs to be, you know, very high quality audio. It needs to be asset class uh, aware, uh, you know, transcription, and it needs to be catered to that particular service, but you can get incredibly accurate and incredibly efficient. And then the other thing I would, I would say is that there's a lot of things that you can do with compliance, trade reconstruction and all after the fact that, that NLP really does help with, you know, ways that were not possible a couple of years ago even. Yeah, voice technology is becoming an emerging factor in, in almost every industry, rather than be entertainment or healthcare. In a sense, be quite strange if it didn't experience uh, mainstream uh, use and exposure in finance. But of course, it obviously has a lot of different challenges in terms of regulation other industries might not have. I think pretty much everyone within the technology industry is, I don't think anyone's arguing about the vast potential of voice technology for disruption in terms of just improving the level of service, improving efficiencies and uh, experience for the end users. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, and, and, and you know, it, it's proven in a lot of different mediums and a lot of different use cases that, that voice is the most efficient or one of the most efficient input methods. So, you know, using it for something that's as high pressure and as, as high volume as trading, it, it's an obvious, uh, you know, an, an obvious use case. So looking forward to, to another very exciting technology. So how do you think that emerging technologies such as biometrics can help firms achieve uh, better compliance while trading? Yeah, I think that's a great question as well. And, and again, NLP uh, you know, lends into that. So biometrics are already used effectively in a lot of areas for authentication, fingerprint control, or you know, retina scanning, that type of, that type of thing. Um, you know, now you have the face ID on, uh, on your phone and all. So coming in uh, with voice printing for compliance for trading is an obvious uh, case again, where, you know, now you can, you can have somebody that uses their voice print to authenticate themselves when they're logging into a system, let's say. And then that gives the compliance team more confirmation that not only is this person who they say they are, but it's actually matching their, their voice print, which gives you, a, you know, a stronger record of that. But then that can be used throughout a trade or throughout a, a conversation and a call leading up to a trade. You can, you can reconfirm throughout that it's the person who logged in as opposed to somebody that, you know, sees the line. And, and that becomes even more important with the hybrid working, remote working, right? You, you, your compliance problems uh, in some cases used to be addressed by having people, quote unquote, locked in the same room, right? And you know a lot of a lot of trading floors will not allow personal cell phones and things of that nature. But but now you you know now you have to replicate a lot of that. And and biometrics can help uh, in in a lot of cases because you know now like I said you can positively confirm that that people are there. And one one of the things IPC's been doing for years to to help the you know compliance trade reconstruction is we provide very rich records of the call detail. And not only you know when the call was made and and uh, and how long it lasted, but who was brought into the call. And then, you know, when somebody came into the call, were they on speaker? Or, you know, so other people might be able to hear them or were they on a handset? 
Were they able to push to talk, push to mute, you know, do all those types of things that you can get a clean record of everything that transpired on that call. Biometrics adds to that. Now you can, you know, get that clean record and all that metadata, but you can tie it into, yeah, it was Will talking on the call when he made that stupid trade, right? Apologies, Will. But, you know, it, it's that kind of, you know, that, that kind of confirmation that really gives compliance a, a leg up using biometrics. Yeah, so I really like the point you mentioned about the continuous authentication, because it's not just a one and done thing. You, uh, voice allows um, users to be continually confirmed and continually authenticated throughout the entire process. It's not a matter of logging in via two-factor authentication and then sort of a son or a daughter or a housemate just going on the laptop. It really allows for the next level of um, security. Beyond that, everyone's voice is very different. Everyone has idiosyncrasies, different vocal cords, a different manner of speaking, a different way of, of logging into calls. And that just, um, like NLP, it seems to be something with a vast amount of potential in the trading world. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that as well. So moving on to a slightly different topic. So um, a lot of FSIs at the moment are transitioning to subscription models. What do you think are the main drivers and motivations for this? Sure, and I think we can you know, use the corollary of our consumer experience in, 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 you know, similar to the voice command one. The flexibility you get from a subscription service, the, the ability uh, to have mobility in a way you didn't have before, which is obviously very important during the pandemic, but, but having the, also the ability to have an evergreen solution uh, always upgraded to the latest version uh, if you want it to be and, you know, not having to have, you know, all of the administrative overhead that comes along with having services on premise or, or your own services in your house. You know, and that really does come back to, or not come back to, but it, it lends to a, a lower total cost of ownership or TCO. And when you look at it, enterprises and, and trading, trading firms have moved virtually everything else to subscription services. You know, Microsoft, you know, uh, you know, Office 365, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, all, all of those services are consumed as subscription services now. So moving, you know, your trading infrastructure to a subscription service, it again gives you all of the, the benefits of, of that lower, to, you know, TCO and, uh, and flexibility. But obviously you have to be more, or you have to be very careful about how you do that because you still need those performance guarantees. You still need, you know, the system to be, uh, you know, not only up all the time, but, you know, very low latency. And you need people to have a comfort level that when they're moving around, they're getting all of the same resources and you need the compliance officer to be, you know, comfortable with all of that. So, you know, you want to move to a subscription model for the business benefits, but you also want to do it in a way that hits all of the technical requirements that you have. Um, and, and a lot of that comes around to, you know, data, you know, where your data is, how your data is manipulated, who has access to it. Again, it comes back to that continuity of experience where, you know, you don't want a system that, you know, gets upgraded on a weekend and you're not aware of it because it's, uh, you know, just a, 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 you know, a standard service that everybody else is using. You want to control it as if it was your own, but you want an expert, you know, industry expert like IPC to, to manage it on your behalf. And, and subscription services really gives you a way to do, you know, the best of both worlds if it's done right. Yeah, um, I think the point you made about it being a cross-industry uh, move is very valid, particularly with Microsoft. Uh, that's a company that has moved in a very, very big way towards cloud subscription services uh, to the point that it's 
the vast majority of their, I believe, their revenue in, term, in terms of office products to the point that individually buying copies of Microsoft Word, it almost seems vintage in the same way that Internet Explorer would. That's it, very true, right? You, you wouldn't even conceive of doing it that way at this point. They, they've done an incredible job of moving to a, you know, an easy, what we call in our world, frictionless you know, subscription service. And, and you're right, no, nobody would go back to buying uh, stacks of, uh, of CDs and, and loading them manually. Of course, that finance definitely has its particular challenges, which can explain, you know, perhaps the delays in terms of the business models. Moving on, uh, just to bring things to a close, how can FSIs who are operating large amounts of legacy infrastructure uh, digitally transform their trading workflows effectively? Yep, I think that's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I, there's a couple of different elements to it. You have to be very aware of the requirements you have, and you have to be very methodical and intentional uh, about doing it and, and, you know, really in a structured way, you know, there's a couple of elements to that, you know, one, you need to understand the workflow very well so that you can put the computing in the right place. You can have, you know, what most of the time is a hybrid model where you have some resources that are in a a private cloud and some that are, uh, you know, more longer term uh, archived in a public cloud, but you need to know how well that information flows. And in particular, as you get into concerns about regulatory and compliance, you need to know where your data is um, and you know, where it is uh, you know, in, at rest and where it is in transit or what's going across in transit so that you can very, be very comfortable that you're, you're, you're complying to the right regulatory laws. And in a lot of cases, you know, they're different um, you know, as you go into emerging markets and you go into different areas, there's different country laws to, to adhere to. So you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to assume that the cloud is easy and just move everything to the cloud. You, you really want to do it in a way that's, you know, very, uh, again, methodical. And that's really, again, where IPC comes in. Uh, we have our network that, you know, uh, provides public cloud connectivity. It's a private uh, network and we have computing resources that are also capable in there. So being able to help customers get the right, you know, hybrid model that probably will change over time, right? You're going to move services around as uh, technology changes or as your work requirements change. And you really want a partner to be able to help you bring, you know, bring you through that journey. Again, I would just caution that you don't want to do it lightly. You want to really, you know, think about it ahead of time and be very methodical about it. Yeah. So we talk to different FSIs uh, week in and week out, and everyone is touting the benefits of digital transformation and collaborating their data. But one point which comes up a lot is what you said, is that they need to be very methodical about digital transformation. They need to pick the correct partners. They need to do it in a smart way and not just jump into it in a reckless, uh, foolhardy way. So it's digital transformation, but thoughtful digital transformation. Because as, as you know, and we've, we probably all know examples of this, if you botch it or you do it incorrectly, that can cause more harm than good. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the, the penalties and, you know, the penalties, both in terms of regulatory penalties or loss efficiency or loss market share, that they're real, right? So you have to, you have to be very cognizant of those. And reputation as well. I mean, um, as someone who's working in the media, just one, just one IT mistake can really damage the firm's reputation for, for years, but effectively it really can. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, you know, and, and nowadays, you know, reputation is even more important because everybody knows what happened instantly. There's no escaping. Yeah, exactly. It lives on the internet forever, right? So thanks for coming on the podcast, Tim. I think that's been a really great discussion and something that will really resonate 
with a lot of our listeners. So just as we draw things to a close, if our listeners would like to learn more about IPC, uh, where would you send them? Uh, sure, Will, and thank you very much for the, the time. It's a very thoughtful conversation. Uh, IPC.com would be the best place for people to get additional information. Um, and most of our you know, customers uh, you know, have account teams that they already know as well. So I, I think the industry is at an incredible time and uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Okay, so thanks for your time again, Tim. And uh, to our listeners, uh, see you soon. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.